0: This is the Wave Family Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We'd love for you to join us in person, Sunday mornings at 1030. Visit us online at wavefamily.church. Wicked wealth. Wicked wealthy in the book of James. So I'm going to invite you to open to James. Uh, So what we do here at Wave Family Church is we take... The Bible as a whole at least that's what we aspire to do right and not necessarily take holes out of the Bible so that means that we go through the books of the Bible from beginning to end and we hit on them verse by verse and this has been quite challenging because I promise you there are things that I would have preferred to skip over but nevertheless this really uh, causes us to dig into the, the word of the Lord so that we have a wholesome understanding of it that we would not be found ignorant but rather well informed in spirit and in truth now before i uh start here today uh some of you guys know most of you may know that my wife and i um homeschool our children and uh i have the privilege of being the history teacher so we do history and science together and so for history you know i i love history in fact this is my favorite history book right here but um this, last, this week we started a unit on um, something very interesting and we're talking about the feudal system if you remember that back in the days of knights and kings and peasants and nobles, right? The feudal system is just that, the kings up there, the nobles, then you have the knights and then the peasants in the bottom. And there's really no, there's really no way to, to kind of uh, improve the quality of your life, you just are what you are in that time. And we started uh, learning about this very special and important document called the Magna Carta. How many of you guys are familiar with the Magna Carta? Yes. So I, I would have raised my hand, but I promise you before going through this lesson I would have said I've heard of it, but I have totally forgot what this is all about, right? And so we started learning of the Magna Carta, and let me just tell you a little bit of the Magna Carta. because. Throughout the week, as I'm preparing to preach every week, you know I ask the Lord Lord, show me something, teach me something according to your word to your will, so that I understand what you're saying. I'm always constantly uh, constantly looking for instruction from the lord and then this happens the magna carta this is one of england's most important legal documents even today you can still see it in their museum over in london i believe it is uh and this a document was signed in 1215 that's a long time ago i think that's second century first century i don't know how to do math I like history. Okay, so this is during the days of the lords and the barons and the peasants and all that stuff, knights and of course, you know, kings. And so the Magna Carta, or it's also known as the Great Charter, was drafted by the archbishop at the time. And I found that very fascinating. And the reason for why this document was drafted was because of this wicked, wealthy man named King John. And how interesting that today we're starting chapter 5 of James and it's a warnings to the rich and then I come and I have to do this lesson on King John and the Magna Carta. Now I don't know if you've heard of King John but he's notorious before the stories of Robin Hood and Robin Hood would go and steal from them because he was just so greedy in his wealth. He craved power and he craved the the treasures of the land. In fact, it is said that King John was so ruthless and his desire to accumulate was so bad that he was willing to take the shirt off your back. But more specifically, if all you had was a horse and a cart, he would go to the lengths of taking away your horse and cart for the purpose of filling the treasury regardless of whether or not that was your means of making a living. This is the greed that was found in him. This was the craving that he'd desire for wealth, for gold, for treasure, for the things that brought him uh, luxuries, comforts, self-indulgences, right? And so what we see here is uh, this archbishop's Bishop drafts this this document that brings, uh, uh, I would say, just control to the situation because King John is really out of hand. And so what it was is legislation that that gave rights, church rights for the people. It also, it kept the king from ruthlessly and I would say unlawfully taking from the poor or taking from any, anyone because the way that King John functioned was as king you also served as, as judge, right? So if there were any quarrels or any conflicts within the people, you would bring it to the, the king and the king would determine that, that judgment. But King John gave judgment according to who gave him more money that's corrupt that's corruption at his best right and so this archbishop uh forms this document and all of the the rebel nobles really need this because there's a problem here and we need to keep king john in check and so this brings rights and in fact this is the beginning of what england needed to be able to begin to prosper and grow and so what i find fascinating is that this needed to be in check and what james is doing now in this letter is reminding us of something very ancient because this kind of message has come since the old testament and so today we're going to dive into it but before we get into it i want to make sure that i make something clear the bible is not saying that wealth is wrong or is a bad thing in itself that's not the message here. He's specific, James is specifically hitting or rebuking the wicked wealthy or the wicked rich people, people who are misusing or abusing their wealth. Okay, But wealth in itself is not a bad thing. It is not sinful to be wealthy as long as we're responsible with what we do. Last week we talked about living according to God's will. If we're moving and doing things according to God's will, there's a blessing that comes from that. In fact, right as the nation of Israel is preparing to enter the promised land, Moses, who's leading them at the time, reminds them and says this, and this is in Deuteronomy chapter 8, 18, he says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Wow. So there's an anticipation of acquiring wealth as they, pro- as they enter the, the promised land. So we see that that in itself is, is not the problem here. Proverbs 10, confirms this. Solomon says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. However, The Bible makes it clear that although it is not wrong to be wealthy, it is absolutely wrong to misuse it or to abuse it or to be lost in that where we completely become blinded to the Lord's will and his blessing over us. And so it is wrong to abuse other for the purpose of gaining wealth. That is wrong. And so that's what we're going to look into here. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6.10, he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So money in itself is not the root of all evil. It's it's the kinds, there's all kinds of evil that comes into this. So money is not evil in itself. It is a root. It can be a root to many evils. I just want to make sure I said that correctly. And then later in that same passage in 1 Timothy 6, this time verse 17, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty for or nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And so James is just reiterating here, reaffirming what has already been taught. So James, like Paul, as we see here from 1 Timothy, cautions against the love of money that leads people to misuse it. That leads people into a place of darkness, just being lost. Now, James is already, I would consider this like a rapid fire of rebuke in these last couple of chapters and he continues here and so what I want to do is take a look at James sharp rebuke towards the wicked wealthy okay now some of us are thinking oh this one's not for me because I'm far from being wealthy right oh but it is for everyone right because all scripture is profitable for teaching for building for rebuke for correction right And so let's really pay attention to what the word of the Lord has for us today. Let's go to James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6 today. It says this. Come now, you reach. (laughs) Let me start over. (laughs) You reach. (laughs) I'm telling you, English is so hard. (laughs) Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotten and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up your treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. But please open up our hearts, soften our hearts, Lord Jesus, to receive what you have for us. Clear our minds, Father, we would focus on you. At this word would be a building, Lord Jesus, a building block, Father, that would help us to be more like you each and every day. We love you. We praise you. We pray in your mighty name. Amen now just as we saw last week in chapter 4 verse 13 james begins this thought or this message with the same words last week he said come now this time he says it again and we will find that this particular word is only used by james these two moments and it would have sounded a lot like this listen up in other words pay attention what i have to say is serious so he says listen up everyone he says hear this you rich not rich, rich Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. That is the warning. And if you read this, this is almost like a stamp of condemnation already. This is what's going to happen for those who misuse the wealth and the riches that the Lord has blessed them with. He says, weep and howl. This is very similar to Old Testament uh, communication and talk. You know, we don't hear this only from James. James is not giving us a brand new message. We hear this from uh, the prophets of, of of the ancient days. Amos started and re um, uh, warned the the wicked wealthy about this situation as well and so did jeremiah and so did so many people in the past and this is not a new message and he says come now listen up you reach weep and howl because the judgment that's coming upon you is serious and it is and the lord is just and the lord is faithful and we need to remember that god opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble Rich, did I say reach again? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for for being gracious with me. I'm glad. Okay, now I'm derailed, I have to start all over. I'm just kidding. And so James in this passage, he introduces a new group of of people to address. So he's addressed several groups of people and now this is is specifically and particularly to the wealthy. And uh, again, it's not a new message. Micah, Malachi, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Job have all touched on this. And they all condemn the wicked rich. And this is certainly certainly an important thing to note. Because as Americans, I promise you, we are more on the wealthy side than we are on the poor side. Okay? And so let's, let's pay attention here. And so as we continue, now that was verse 1 there, that, that very dramatic, I would say, very important warning. As we continue here... We see that James uh, notes four sins. And I really want to look at these four sins that warrants God's judgment over the wicked wealthy. They are condemned. This is the thing that the Lord has against them uh, in, in that they, their wealth was uselessly hoarded. That's the first thing we're going to look at that James touches on. It was dishonestly gained, self-righteously or self-indulgently spent, and they were unjust to the just. These are the things that the Lord condemns. So let's take a look at the first reason for the Lord's condemnation over the wicked wealthy, and that is their wealth was uselessly hoarded. Verse two to three, it says this, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and you will eat, and will eat your flesh like fire. Now it says there, In the end of verse 3, you have laid your treasures up in the last days. This is a single word in the Greek, and the word is uh, and it means to heap up, to store, to hoard. You have hoarded your treasures in the last day, meaning today, the time after Christ. The days that we have been commissioned to go make disciples of all nations and baptizing them. The days of work, the days of building up the kingdom. He says, instead, you've been hoarding up your treasures and this is the warning here this is not the same to save up by the way this is not the same to be responsible and diligent in saving up because you have a plan you have a purpose the purpose probably is that you're saving up for the the well-being of your family friends church whatever it may be it's not the same this is like i don't want anybody else to touch or take what is mine this is that kind of attitude that James is, is touching on, he's mentioning. And so we need to be very cautious about this because if we're not, that, that little bit of greed really kicks in and we find ourselves just being very selfish in what the Lord has blessed us with in the first place. We think that what he has given us, what he provides for us is ours and ours alone. And that is the first danger that we need to look at. So to store up is not only to have access to the goods, it's to keep it from others. Got it? That's what he's saying here. And um, James is only saying that uh, 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 what, he, James, what James is saying is exactly what Jesus has already taught. So he's echoing Jesus' words here. It's nothing necessarily new. In Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. I believe that um, this is why James is hitting on this, because many people in this time were keeping treasures for themselves. They were hoarding these things. In verse 2, he says, Your riches have rotten, rotted, your, and your garments are moth-eaten, and your gold and silver have corroded. So apart from land and houses, this is one way that wealth was uh, measured. Uh, Food, The kind of food that you were able to afford, uh, the garments that you were able to wear and afford as well, and then also the kind of cash that you had. So your coins, your gold, your silver, your jewelry, all these possessions really were what defined the person's wealth and wealth status, right? And so what James is doing is he's reminding us that all of these things are very temporal anyway. These things will all come and go. None of these things last. And I love this this progression that he mentions is first rotted as far as food is concerned. That's what spoils faster than anything else. And then garments and then the actual precious metals that we considered to be more important than anything else. And so in regards to food, James rebukes the wicked for wasting it. That's what he's saying here. You're letting these kind of things rot. That food rots, right? And, and, and instead of serving others with the overabundance that the Lord has blessed us with, we rather see it go to waste. Now, I don't know about you, but for me personally, when we buy any kind of dairy, sour cream, lettuce, or things like that, chicken, we really try to get to it. Because if we don't get to it on time, we've, I feel guilty about it. I think, man, why did we let that go bad? Let's just throw something together real quick, right, with it so it doesn't go bad. It's important to do that, to be responsible, not to let things rot, because we know that there are people who hunger. We know that the blessing of the Lord, you know, is for us to be good stewards with. And so let's not allow that to happen. And this is, I think, what James is hitting on is be, be gracious, you know, with what you have. Be good stewards of what you have. Don't let it go to waste. Last week we talked um, a little bit about the parable in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to remind you of the parable. The parable of the rich man who planned to store up his uh, overabundance of food so that he would, and the word says, relax, eat, drink and be merry. That was his thought process. I'm going to build more barns, bigger barns, so that I can just store it up there and I can just chill. But God said to him, fool this night, your soul is required of you. In other words, you don't even know how long you're gonna last. Make what you have as, what's the word I'm looking for? As productive as you possibly can by serving others, right? And so what was the result of this particular situation? If, if God demanded this man's life that night, and if all his food was stored up in these barns where nowhere else, no one else could access them, that's a waste. Do you see that? That's a waste of resources. And so as Christians, we're not called to be wasteful with our resources. We're not called to hoard our resources, but to be responsible. I also, doesn't mean to be res- irresponsible for yourself, just to be responsible and, and, and mindful of the Lord's will for it for us, our mission, our calling, the commission that the Lord Jesus has given us is to go and make disciples. And so what can we do with the blessings that we've received to anticipate that or to advance the kingdom of God? I think that's what James is saying here. The other thing he hits on is these garments. These garments were also a symbol of status and wealth. Garments such as robes, mantles, right, cloaks. People in this day would not easily relinquish these garments, which is why when Jesus said, when he talked about the law of retaliation in Matthew 540. And if anyone would sue you, take off your tunic and let him have your cloak as well. This was a tall order. This is a big ask for people because their cloak was their lifeline for so many. Now, if you were wealthy, you had several and it was not a problem to kind of let go of something like most of us would today. If we have an extra hoodie and we see someone who needs it, it's not a big deal to give it up. We can just go get another one if we need it. But in this day, their cloak was a very, a very important possession for if you were traveling, you couldn't pull over to stay in the Holiday Inn. You had to kind of just camp out and you, you were dependent on your cloak to keep you warm that night. And many people didn't have extra cloaks. And so Jesus says, give it all. It's like saying, I was thinking about this, if someone stole my earbuds, Jesus is basically asking me to give them my phone, too, so they have something to listen to? Yeah, kind of like that, you know? It's a tall order. Jesus is calling us to greater things. It's a hard thing to do, right? Something like that, it's like, I don't know if I could do it. But nevertheless, we have to just trust the Lord and the things that we have. He's like, he has blessed us with much. And so we, if we have the ability to give, let's give. And then not just flaunt it to ourselves and kind of say, hey, look at me. Look what I have. Look, my shirt's better than yours. You know, someone told me that today. <laughs> in the grand scheme of it all, in the grand scheme of it all, yeah, these things just don't last. Instead of feeding these moths, as James has put it, or as, you know, just hoarding these things, help others instead. Do whatever you can for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And then James mentions gold and silver, and that, too, doesn't last forever. It lasts the longest compared to these other things, but it doesn't last forever. But even this corrodes. And then the warning that James hits here is very interesting. He says, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. This is is the condemnation that James is warning us about. The question is, are we being bad towards what we have? Are we just kind of hoarding everything for ourselves and not really helping advance the kingdom of God, helping those who are in need? This is what, why the rich are condemned, or these rich people are condemned. The wicked ones are condemned because they're not doing what is good according to the will of God, as we saw last week. So kind of like King John, you know, this man needed to be addressed because his wickedness was just... Really hurting people instead of helping people. If you imagine that king, the king's job is is to help the nation advance and grow and be well, right? And instead, he's depriving them of just basic needs. That's a terrible thing. That's a wicked, wicked thing. And so we need to be cautioned against that. We need to be uh, just well instructed that the things that the Lord has blessed us with, you know, those things we can also bless others with. Amen? And so Solomon says in Proverbs 2, 23, 4 through 5, says, do not toil, do not acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. You know, discern what you have. Don't let it overcome you. Don't let it make that your life, your idol, your God. Instead, focus on Jesus. Look to him, look to his will, and let's move according to that. Jesus states clearly in Luke 16, 13, says, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right? You can have money and serve God with it. But you cannot be committed to just your wealth and your possessions that you completely leave God alone. We cannot do that. We should not do that. That's the warning that James gives us. I think this is a gracious, loving thing to be able to receive this from the Lord's servant. And as we continue now in verse 4, let's take a look, look, a look there. We see another reason for the Lord's condemnation over the wicked wealthy. And that is because their wealth was dishonestly gained. So not only hoarded, but dishonestly gained in this particular situation. Let's look at verse 4. He says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of of the Lord. The wicked wealthy are not only guilty of sinfully hoarding these riches, but in this case, they're also sinfully acquiring it. And the Lord's calling them out. He's he's saying, hey, the Lord sees this, right? And so we need to be careful here as well. Instead of being generous with these folks all around us, we're being very selfish. And what we're trying to do is exploit others for self-gain, just like King John, right? James says, The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. That word kept back means to withdraw. This is not, oh, I forgot to pay them. This is not, oh, no, 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 I got you. I'll pay you later. No, what he's saying is, I'm going to do whatever I can to not pay you. I'm going to keep it back. I'm going to be intentional about making sure that my pocket continues or remains full instead of giving it up to you. Now, at this point, you're stealing because if you hired someone to do the work that you have hired them to do, you now owe them right now that money is no longer yours. And in this case, these folks are keeping back those things. And that is just terrible. The the Lord opposes this kind of behavior. The Lord condemns this kind of behavior We need to be careful with this. And so this practice is strictly forbidden now and not just now, but even uh, uh, in the Old Testament. Look at Leviticus 19, 13. He says, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Deuteronomy chapter 24 also states the same thing. So this is definitely not a new teaching, not a new matter. This is something that they just need to be reminded of because they have obviously forgotten. So to withhold a servant's wage or pay, that could have been a very tragic thing for them. You know, we didn't they didn't have payroll back in the day. It was you worked and you got paid because your your wages could have been food. Your wages could have been something to go get the food or to pay something. You know, back in in these in this time, this could have been a terrible thing because. If you didn't have anything to eat, you worked all day, you went home and had nothing. Like That's a terrible thing to do with the, to the person who, that, you, that you've employed. And what if that person was in debt? We see different examples where that was very possible. What if you owed someone something? That could have meant your life. And we'll see a little bit more about this later. But it's important to not... You know, retain these things that don't even belong to you in the first place. You're dishonestly gaining, dishonestly filling your pockets in this particular case. Jesus says in Matthew thirteen forty one, The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the father. He who has ears, let him hear. What James is saying here is that the Lord sees this. It has reached the ears of the Lord, the cries of these harvesters, and the Lord promises that he'll take care of them. And so wherever you you fall here, whether you identify more like the poor person who's being ripped off or the wealthy person who's ripping off, the Lord's going to dress and he's just in everything that he does. So let's remember that. He who has ears, let him hear. Let him mind that. This is God's judgment, and it is perfect justice. Perfect, perfect judgment here. The victims cry out for justice, but the Lord is very faithful. He opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. And then James continues in verse 5 with another reason as to why the wicked wealthy await God's judgment. And this is because their wealth was self-indulgently spent. So they're hoarding. They're acquiring it unfaithfully or fraudulently, as James says. And then verse 5 says this. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. So not only do the wicked hoard, you know, but they also use it all for themselves. Who cares about everybody else? It's just about me. Did you guys ever watch that movie, The Three Amigos? Yeah? There's a scene where they're riding in the desert. Oh, there it is right there you know and they're like sweating there's just water falling out of their heads like it's just we know what that feels like we live in Tucson right they're wearing their mariachi outfits and they look like they're dying and so they all all three of them come to this halt right and the guy in the middle opens his canteens and he gets like a little 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 swig of water right just enough to like tease him and he looks disappointed and he thinks I wonder if anyone else has it so he looks around and then the next guy the guy on the left of there he opens his canteen and he just fills his mouth with a bunch of dirt like, why does he even have dirt in his canteen who knows but now he's in the worst place that he used to be right now his he has a mouth full of dirt or sand or whatever it is The situation looks pretty terrible and then the guy away on the right he opens his canteen and his canteen is full of clean water right and because he has so much of it He doesn't carefully sip it, but he pours it into his mouth, and you see all this excess just go to waste, right? And he kind of pours it onto his shirt, and he's like, ah. And because he has so much, he takes it. He gargles. He rinses his mouth. He spits it out. He does it again. I think he does it two or three times. I don't remember, right? And these other two guys are just looking at him like, ah, water, right? And then when he was refreshed, He throws the canteen, which still had a lot of water left in it. And then we see that the canteen is spilled, right? The water that's left in it is spilled, and it's absorbed by the dry ground. And meanwhile, these guys are like, I need that, right? And so he pulls out his lip balm, and he puts it on, and then he notices the needs of his compadres. And he says, lip balm? (laughs) Like, that's not what I need. <laughs> I needed the water that you just let go of, you know. Like, this is to, to, to use our wealth and our riches self-indulgently. We're not minding anybody. It's just about me and how can I feel good and how can I be relaxed, you know. And, and, and this is wrong according to the will of the Lord. This is what James is saying. Anyway, that was just something that came to mind. James is rebuking the rich for, leaving, for living soft, You know, for living in a way that's just extravagant at the expense of others. There's nothing wrong with owning a recliner, okay? But it is when we take from others, when we resist others, when we are totally fine with seeing others just suffer, you know, and, and not only that, but we take from them, we make sure that they don't have the comforts of, let's say, the blessings that the Lord has given That's It's truly a problem. This is a pursuit of self-indulgence, self-righteousness. We see this warning. Time after time in James chapter 4 and now 5, we see that uh, fights begin because of selfish ambitions. We see that uh, we spend what we have for our own passions, and the Lord is against that kind of thing. We see that we feed our pride because the world tells us to in its wisdom, because it says that it's all about us. And the Lord opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then James goes to say this pretty graphic thing here. He says, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter what he's saying here is you have nourished your pride you have fattened it in the same ways same ways that calves are fattened before they are butchered you know you're not going to butcher a skinny cow or calf you're going to make sure it's fattened before it goes there this is the situation that the wicked wealthy are found in fattening their pride fattening their hearts for what for death for the judgment that's to come for nothing nothing to their gain. It's kind of like uh, Pinocchio, another example. You guys? Pistachio. <laughs> Pinocchio. You know, they're promised Pleasure Island. Is that right? Or is it Vanity Fair? No, that's, that's another story. Pleasure Island. And they, they, they come here and they're so excited because they're going to get everything that they ever desire and no more work, it's just party time. And little that they know, they didn't even realize that all this root beer that they were having would Turn them into donkeys, right? And once they turned into donkeys, then they were they were slaves. They were embonded, right, to those cap uh, the people who've kept uh, captured them to their masters. At that, that point, they had no way to actually enjoy the freedoms that they thought they were pursuing. It's like that. It's we don't realize the kind of judgment that we're bringing onto ourselves by just being self indulgent in everything that we have and everything that the Lord has blessed us with, and. James uses this frightening, I think this is a frightening description here because it should really capture our attention. We should not let this go lightly. And this judgment of condemnation is to fulfill the Lord's promise to those who are faithful to him because he is just and he is uh, 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 he's promised that he opposes the proud but He gives grace to the humble. I will say that probably until I'm done with James. And then let me show you the final thing final reasons for this condemnation for the wicked rich, and that is that they were unjust to the just. Verse 6 says this, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. In this example, we see that they unjustly hoarded their possessions, right? They gained it dishonestly, and they're using it for their self-pleasures, for their self-indulgences, and now this is even a worse kind of thing. They've condemned and murdered the righteous man. At first I thought, this is just like symbolic, right? Sure, but no, James actually means what he's saying. So what's going on here is very much like the days of King John, you know, when someone had the authority and the power to do such a thing, if you have the wealth to do such a thing, when you owed someone something or if someone was any kind of inconvenience for you, you would actually use the court systems to condemn that person. And that condemnation could even mean execution. And because if you remove that person from the the picture, now you're no longer responsible for the debts that you owe. And so James is saying, you even go to the lengths of doing that of condemning the righteous person. He does not resist you. The righteous person does not resist you. That's what that means right there. But the Lord sees it, right? The righteous person is not the person who you need to worry about. They don't have the power, the ability to fight for themselves, right? They don't have the ability to go hire Larry H. Parker. Instead, you go and you condemn them and you put them in situations where they are just at the Lord's mercy, right? This is exactly what happened with Joseph. His brothers were inconvenienced by Joseph. They despised him. And so the solution was, get rid of the guy. Let's kill him. We go to the extent of just murdering him. And Reuben, the oldest brother, who had some kind of compassion for Joseph, says, no, no, don't kill him. Instead, let's sell him. And so that's what they're doing. You see this wicked desire for wealth? It's like, what can we get out of this? I am so not concerned for the life of the Lord's uh, image bearer. Instead, what can I gain? And so when we go to those lengths, we are at risk right there of the condemnation of God. The person that we persecute does not resist us, but the Lord sees us. The Lord sees them, and he is compassionate, and he is just, and he is good. You know, the righteous person is the one who is morally upright in this particular situation, is the person who is innocent of the crime, innocent of the wrongdoing to deserve this suffering. And the Lord the Lord is righteous in that he brings justice where justice is due. And just as Jesus did, Jesus know what it, knows exactly what it's like to be this person who receives the suffering that is not deserved to him. And how did he respond? First Peter 2.23 tells us, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continue entrusting himself to him who justs justly. You know, he was at the mercy of the Lord. He pressed into the Lord, and he knew that the Lord would be his redemption, would be his Savior, right? This salvation in this time, and, and he clung to him just like the righteous person in this situation that James is sharing. That's what we ought to do if we're the ones that are being ripped off. You know, we need to trust the Lord and know that he understands exactly where we are. You know, Jesus not only understands what it means to suffer at the hands of the wicked— But he also knows what it means to be wealthy for everything that we have comes from him, right? And in his riches and in his wealth, he gives us his most and best and prized possession. Do you know what that is? Himself. And he is generous with himself and he gives us himself and he allows us to know him and he allows us to have relationship with him. He is generous with his wealth that that he has. And in his suffering, he fully entrusts himself to the Lord to the point that he goes and he is crucified. He is killed. But because Jesus is righteous, death could not hold him down. Right. The righteous is not guilty of this. And so there's resurrection power here. Death could not hold the innocent and the righteous one. His promises is true for those who are humbled who have, are humble and, and come before the Lord, understanding that he is our salvation, he is our hope and he is our refuge and strength in our time of persecution. But God is also very just and he minds and, and notices the wickedness in everyone's heart. And so this is a call to repentance if this is what we need. This is a warning for those who just don't know better, right? Or this is a a, a message of hope for those who feel like, man, I'm being taken advantage of. God sees it all, and he responds according to his will. And I want to leave you with this parable, and I think this is really going to get us to think, and I I love it. I'm going to share this with you, Luke 16, 19 through 31. Let's read that together. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order, and that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may be warned, so you may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. He who has ears, let him hear. And so this is the warning for those of us, you know, whether we be, again, identifying with the oppressed or the oppressor. But there's also another prescription or a prescription that's very helpful for those who have been blessed uh, by the Lord and in, in many riches and wealth. And I'll tell you what, as Americans, we have more than we need. And so we need to be responsible. We need to be good stewards with what we have. First Timothy, I mentioned this earlier, but I'll close with this. This is just the instruction of the Lord through Paul in the Sermon Timothy. He says this, 1 Timothy 6:17 through 19. He says, ask for the rich in this present age. And that is being in the presence of the Lord, glorified with him in heaven. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. We ask that you would not allow this to just uh, be forgotten, Father, but that we would have this in mind as we are blessed by you, Lord. Lord, just help us be good stewards of the things that you've given us, those blessings that we possess, Lord Jesus, that what we do would be for the good of our families, that we would love them well with our resources, and that we would be able to be participants of the furthering of your kingdom, Lord Jesus. That is our heart. That is our desire, Lord Jesus, and we know that this is yours for us as well, so help us in these things. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen.